Today I'm chatting with Nicole Wilkes from Animal Food Bank in Canada, an organisation she founded and runs with her partner AJ. They have operations in Kelowna and also Winnipeg, and they distribute food to families with pets who are struggling to make ends meet. We know Nicole and her team because we've been working with food banks ourselves for the last few months, helping to streamline and automate some of their logistical processes, Animal Food Bank being one of those organisations. We talk about Nicole's work with families and their pets, why she does what she does, and also what she's seen during this time of the virus, how there's been a massive increase in the number of food requests from families. Here's my conversation with Nicole Wilkes. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Good morning and, well, good evening for you. Good morning for me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And where are you? Obviously, we just, I got a bit mixed up on the time zones thinking you're in Winnipeg, but maybe a good starting point just to, to give some, maybe give some background where you are and also, um, you know, the Animal Food Bank, what it is, what you guys do would be a great start. Oh, well, I'm originally from Winnipeg, so you got that part right, except right now I live in the Okanagan in British Columbia in a little city called Kelowna, right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. Um, we're about four hours away from Vancouver and about six hours away from Calgary. In, uh, in beautiful Okanagan Valley, and um, it's gorgeous here. I'm, I'm very lucky to live here, and I love Winnipeg, but it's very flat. It's very flat. Win- sorry, Winnipeg is very flat, or where you are is very flat? Winnipeg is very flat, and we are full of mountains and lakes and beautiful vineyards and ski hills and everything around here in the Okanagan. So we launched the um, Animal Food Bank here in December and branched out to Winnipeg in February and just launched Calgary uh, last week. Nice. So, you've, so you have certainly launched a, a food bank in, in an interesting time, um, an animal food bank, obviously with, you know, there's always challenges jumping into to the nonprofit sector, do, doing work like this. But um, I imagine over the last couple of months, some of the challenges you have seen were not the ones you were expecting to see. No, it was interesting because we, we launched uh, in December with a driver-based model before COVID was a thing and before people were actually considering delivering Uh, food bank items. And the reason that we did that is because I really wanted to promote collaboration and believe that food insecurity is a symptom of something else. And so with so many social services agencies working tirelessly, I wanted us to work together to see if we could solve the problems. And so for me, the delivery model allowed our volunteers to make connection with the recipient and form a bond of trust and then see what else we could do. So is there vet care that we could help with? Is there a return to work program or their mental health issues? Like what what can we do to help the recipient better their lives or better their situation? Uh, And so that's how we designed the model, not knowing in three months COVID was going to hit and we would be a COVID-friendly model right out the gate. And how is that? I mean, I I suppose it's been hard for you to kind of look at the impact in terms of it being an increase because because you've kind of been launching through this process, right? Or have you been able to gauge the the change in in need across community? We can actually gauge, so we are a low no barrier, so we don't require anybody to fill out any paperwork or proof of income or proof of need. So if you send us a request and say you need pet food, we will assume that you need pet food and do our best to deliver against that request. But the caveat to that is that our uh, our requests are kept in a database, and so our system will check to see the last um, date that we delivered against that 
address, email address, and person's name. And then it will also track what we've delivered. So sometimes it's a circumstance of where we didn't have enough food. We do try to give enough food for three weeks to a month. Uh, the intent is to keep them fed for, you know, and, and provide a little bit of relief to the family so that they're not looking week to week and that we can give them a little bit of a longer track before they have to worry about how they're going to feed the pet again. Um, so we track how much we give. And so I can look at those requests and gauge whether or not it's reasonable for somebody to be asking again. Most times it is. I haven't found anybody who abuses the system. And it's just kind of a check and balance because we don't have any qualification criteria. Because of that, though, because I love numbers and my operations background, um, the data tells us not only I can predict what I need to have an inventory at all times to kind of service our average need, but I can see where spikes occur or lulls. And so when COVID hit at the, the um, beginning of March in the Okanagan, I was measuring by request. So we, we were seeing about seven to 10 requests a week and uh, we were doing, or sorry, I measured by pounds and we were doing hundred to 150 pounds a week. In the first week of COVID, we did 1300 pounds. It was crazy. And we saw, wow, similar, okay. yeah, we saw a similar spike in Winnipeg. Now in Winnipeg, we were measured, we were, the launch was a, a bit different. It was a bigger city. Uh, so we had a little bit more of a bumpy ride, but we went from 20 requests a week to 20 to 80 a day. And so in one weekend alone, during the beginning of COVID, we delivered 1500 pounds of dry food to 80 families. So we, we, and we've leveled off, we've leveled off both in Kelowna and in Winnipeg to about an average of 500 to 700 pounds of food, which is still quadruple of what we were expecting to see and what we were used to seeing before COVID. Wow, that's a big increase. I mean, have you, how have you managed to scale up so quickly? Obviously you have a big volunteer base, right? You guys are, are you, do you have permanence or it's just you guys and then a big volunteer base? How does the operation work? It's been interesting. We do have quite a big volunteer base, uh, but for a request, um, I guess our request of 20 a week or so, we can do that with two or three drivers. And so uh, it's the donation that we need. And as soon as we put a request out in the media, people seem very willing to help feed other people's pets. And we, we normally get the donations coming in or we have gift cards called into pet stores or we get e-transfers in Canada um, where people are sending us money through their bank. And so uh, we, we haven't had a, a really difficult time in maintaining enough supply as we need it, when we need it. And I think a lot of that has to do with crazy animal lovers. We love our animals, but mm -hmm. we also love everyone else's. Um, and people seem to be really apt to helping animals, but also that we have a really good system to be able to tell when we're getting low on inventory and proactively react. So we're asking and, and raising alarm bells before we're running out. And that's because of the methodology in which we track the data. So a little bit different. I, I come from an operations background in for-profit business for how old am I? I'm going to age myself here. 25 years. Um, and so I approach my nonprofit very much business-like. And so we run very efficiently, effectively. We're constantly looking at numbers. You know, we track delivery, request delivery times, all kinds of metrics behind the scenes. And I do think it has helped us be able to scale very, very quickly. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Having seen a lot in the nonprofit space over the years and different types of nonprofits, it, it certainly seems that people who approach it with that sort of mindset, not, you know, there's the kind of mindset of I've got a hundred dollars. What can I do with it? You know, the other mindset is here's a problem I need to solve. The money will come. 
you know, and that seems to be the differentiating kind of approach in charity. Yes. I think sometimes this kind of business approach of not worrying about what funds are needed, but worrying about the problem because you know the funds will come if it's approached in a sensible manner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that business experience obviously helps. I mean, in terms of the volunteer, what about the volunteer side? Because I imagine is, has that been more tricky? Um, you know, the, just having enough volunteers with things like social distancing and, and like you, you're, you have drivers, yeah, that, that operate the, the deliveries. Yes. Um, has, has that caused a problem or have you managed to, no, to scale hasn't. that okay? Yeah, no, we were able to scale that really quickly as well. Um, and I think just based on our driver model already, so we were already functioning on a system where a volunteer would pull inventory based on a request and a driver would come pick up that inventory and drop it off at a recipient's house. And so COVID has only changed that we don't make physical contact anymore. So the driver will pick up inventory or for, in my instance, my parents live with us or we live with them. Uh, so I could hand the inventory to my dad and then he'll go and drop it off as our main driver in Kelowna to someone's house, knock on their door and, and leave. And so we don't get to make that physical connection with the person anymore. Um, but that's pretty much all that's changed. We, yep. uh, we had a lovely, so I, I don't know if you're familiar with Canada's geographically, but BC is on one side of the country and then Ontario is like way kind of towards the other side of the country. And there is a CEO of the BC or sorry, the Ontario SPC named Kate McDonald. She saw me on the news out there and I don't know how, cause I wasn't, I was on the Kelowna news, not, not the Ontario news. Um, and she reached out to me and loved what we were doing. And is just a kindred spirit in collaboration um, and believing, sharing resources and information and education and advocacy, which are some of the key principles that we operate within. And she donated, I think we're on 30 pallets of food right now. And so that has been a huge help too. So I want to, Smuckers Canada and uh, the Ontario SPCA have really mm -hmm. made it possible for us to have a stockpile of food. Whereas before we were maybe holding a week's worth at a time and then constantly having to keep the donation drives going. We have a little bit of a, um, an inventory to rely on if we need to. So that's been lovely too. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you don't see partnerships are not so common in the nonprofit space in the way they are in the business space, but they're really needed. I, I think I was reading something. I, I looked through some of your media online. I think it, you must've made a quote about this, but it was something that you, or maybe it's on your website actually, but you guys are kind of focused on the importance of partnering as opposed to just solving the problem alone. Right? Yeah. I got involved in dog rescue as I'm a tra crazy dog person um, probably about 10 years ago and not frontline rescuing because I could not do what they do. So more like, backseat rescuing where I'm yeah, right. a driver running errands or taking dogs to vets or fostering or volunteering my time in some way. Um, and I noticed that the there's, there's no regular regulatory body in Canada for rescues. And I'm not sure that there needs to be, but without some, some guidelines, they operate very, very siloed. And so we're all working towards the same goal in different ways, in different lanes, not not leaning on each other's expertise and it drove me crazy and so yes. when i moved from winnipeg seven years ago it was my dream to have um, a way to unite supplies and fosters and all kinds of things and so i parked it in my head and then i met my husband three years ago and he has a web development company and he's like this is a great idea and bought me a bunch of domains and we parked it again 
And then when we started up the Animal Food Bank, I was like, oh, this is it. This is our opportunity to really promote collaboration because we're not competing. I'm not interested in, in reinventing the wheel. I'm interested in augmenting that wheel or filling in the gaps where we find them. And so that's really been um, the approach and it's worked really well. We have partnered with the Kelowna um, BCSPCA, Penticton, Vernon and Shushwap. So four branches in BC and we're distributing all of the pet food for them. So it's, and, and we're working with the Ontario SPCA. And so it's been wonderful and exactly the route that I want it to go because my dream would be that there would never be a need for a food bank. Right? Yeah, I, I'm completely with you. I think, and it's interesting, like I think we spoke about this briefly before on another call, but this is not a Canada problem. This is, this is a, you know, th this is an issue you see everywhere actually. Or I've seen it certainly in Asia, in Australia, this, um, you know, the going out there with good intention to solve an issue and, and doing good work in the charity sector, but not looking how to align with other charities. And you find it, particularly in Australia, I've seen it where you will have 10 charities trying to solve one problem. And you look at it and go, you know what, if, if there was partnerships here, you'd probably need two or three charities being way more effective solving the same problem. And I, you know, no yeah. finger pointing at why that is. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it just seems to be, yeah, the way the sector has evolved over the years, but it definitely, I love to hear that this kind of, you know, thinking around, um, you know, building partnerships because you can solve problems a lot more quickly um, really and a lot more effectively. And, and they have a lot of experience that I don't, and I have a lot of experience that they don't. And so when we can leverage that, we, we solve so much more in much less time, much more efficiently with a lot less frustration. And so I love that about it and, and meeting kindred spirits along the way who have had open arms and been like, this is wonderful. Let's do it together has been immensely helpful and a, and a huge reason why we've been able to be so successful so quickly in getting yeah. that done. I, I think there's a mentality of a scarcity of resources. So it's a scarcity of funding, scarcity of donations, scarcity of volunteers. Um, you know, I see it in rescue, dog rescue, scarcity of fosters. So if there's not a foster home for a pet to come into, then they can't bring that pet into rescue or that dog or cat into rescue. And so it was kind of what ignited the idea about the National Foster Database was, well, what if we didn't assign that foster to a rescue, but to rescuing? And so if we can make that foster available to any rescue who might need it, imagine what we could accomplish. And so that is kind of the premise of the Animal Food Bank. Same idea. Just sorry, just explaining just for our listeners and for me actually fostering, you're talking about people fostering, so temporarily helping out with animals that need homes. Is that what you mean? Because I've not heard that in the animal sector. Oh, interesting. Okay, so yeah. in, we, in... Just, just to give some context, sorry, so yeah. I'm in Thailand. We have a, in fact, I had him on the podcast. So we have a rescue home here. And look, I don't know if, how much you know about Thailand, but you walk out here and there are dogs everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere, very... Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they, the models here are very much, you know, rescue, rehabilitate. And then there's two models, actually. Take the dog back out to the street because if it is a street dog, these street dogs live pretty well. And they know you can't just take that dog and put it in a domestic Yeah, home. absolutely. So, yeah. or, you know, if it isn't a street dog, rehome it. But I've never heard of the foster model, which sounds really... Because these guys do... I see a problem right now, actually, with soy dog home in Phuket that have a problem with capacity and 
you know, I would happily foster, but I can't take more dogs on. So sorry, just, yeah, be interested to, to understand more about that fostering process in the dog world. Yeah, so so, res so dog rescue in Canada, at least, um, has the opportunity, and cat rescue as well, has the opportunity to foster a dog or a cat. So the rescue will bring the pet in under care of the rescue. So they'll pay for the food and the bedding and all those kinds of things. But they're looking for homes to have the dog or cat live in while they transition from the life that they had to a new family life. And while the rescue advertises the dog and, and that's a, a permanent home and all those kinds of things. And so I think we fostered about 20, 20 dogs. We've kept one, so we're considered a foster fail for her. Um, and so you basically take puppies and or, and or dogs that are being surrendered and open your home up to them, much like fostering a human would be. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much it. Now, COVID, so, I, so this is what ignited this, you know, seven years ago was this idea of, well, how do we share foster resources? Because in Manitoba, for instance, there's an over, overpopulation of dogs. In BC, there's an underpopulation. And so one of my first jobs with rescue was getting dogs on transport in domestic flights with a travel companion out of Manitoba and into BC where we had capacity to take them. And I thought, well, isn't this interesting? I wonder if that is occurring in other areas in Canada and how do we share all those resources? Um, and so with that national foster idea, COVID hit and we've escalated that. So we're actually working behind the scenes right now on a branch of the Animal Food Bank that will provide emergency fostering for people in need. So domestic violence cases are on, on the rise during, during COVID. A lot of times domestic violence shelters don't take pets and a lot of people will not leave the relationship if they can't take their pet with them. And so we would provide them with an opportunity to have that pet taken care of immediately while we try and work with a local agency. So for instance, right now, we work with the Kelowna SPCA and they have a 14 day emergency boarding program, but they can't respond instantaneously like we can. So we'll go and pick up the pet and find a spot for the pet in one of our foster homes for 24 to 48 hours until we can get the pet into emergency boarding with the SPCA. Um, so that's another avenue for fostering where people have an opportunity to open up their homes. Cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a cool model. I, like I said, I mean, it may exist in, I, I don't see you, you know, you don't have that in Thailand, but it may well exist in Australia. I would think it does. But um, yeah. Um, I had a question at the beginning that I didn't ask, actually, which was the first question, um, and I'll throw it in now, which was around, um, you know, the inspiration of what kicked this off. There was a story I saw that said you're inspired by a I hope so yeah I was going to kick off the podcast asking about that but we'll let's throw it in there now and you know it's always good to hear the um you know the inspirational stories that start yeah. off yeah I was, uh, I was downtown Kelowna and I was coming out of my uncle's office and there was a homeless gentleman and this black lab cross and of course it's a dog and I'm like ah oh, can I pet your dog and what's your dog's name and tell me all about your dog I don't know the guy's name I'm sure he has a name too didn't ask left, I had a very casual conversation with him. The dog was beautiful and left and came home and couldn't sleep because I was like, how does he feed his dog? And there wasn't any judgment in that he couldn't have a dog or how dare he have a dog or any of those things. It was more like, oh my gosh, how does he feed his dog? And I was really upset that I didn't have dog food with me to give to him or, or a way to go and give him dog food. And so I started doing some research to see if there was something, some kind of service that was provided and found um, that, Kelowna is actually a bit of an anomaly because more of our homeless shelters than not accept pets. Winnipeg, for instance, is more of the standard where none of the shelters accept pets. Um, homeless shelters and domestic shelters or domestic or violence shelters don't accept pets. 
And so I thought, well, this is kind of crazy. Like this pet is likely giving them a purpose for living or a reason to stay out of trouble or what is security. Like dogs are security when their safety when they're on the streets and living homeless. And that dog doesn't care whether or not you have a, a roof over your head. That dog loves you unconditionally for who you are and what you've got going on at that particular moment. And um, it was shameful to me that we, we judge them and we penalize them and we put barriers up because of that pet because of the judgment we held for the simple fact that they have that pet. And so that was what inspired us to change it. And we talked about it on a Tuesday and launched on a Thursday with really no idea what we were gonna do, but we thought we'd just figure it out as we went along. Um, and, and it was this dog Odin that, that inspired all of it. And so back to the collaborative model and uh, partnerships and working to solve the problems, not the symptoms, again, with food insecurity being a symptom. Um, we are looking at partnering with um, a storage, I don't want to say storage locker, like the, the moving containers that convert into small homes. And we've talked about transitional housing and just models where we can help accommodate shelters to accommodate pets or emergency fostering so somebody can go into addictions treatment, for instance, doesn't have to relinquish their pet. So Odin really inspired all of this and really opened up my eyes to what was probably in front of me all the time, but I just didn't see. And once I, I saw it, I couldn't unsee it and, and had to do something about it. And that's really very, the story. Odin. Yeah, very, very cool. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah. It, you know, for us, it's been really interesting dealing with you guys because we've, we're seeing, um, you know, this issue with food banks and I hadn't realized that there were these animal food banks that existed, but, um, you know, as we learn more about what you guys are doing and be good to understand this a bit more. I mean, clearly when someone's in trouble and they have a pet, it's pretty likely that's the first thing that's probably not going to be fed right. So you are, you know, you're, you're dealing with people that have probably many issues, but that's probably one of the first things that's going to um, stop is feeding that pet. So the linkage into other problems that you're solving yeah. Um, you know, like you say, mental health, the pet goes away. It's causing another problem. It, I mean, yeah. What is, what is the kind of demographic? Is it all sorts of different families? Is it a lot of homeless or what, you know, what, well, what is yeah, the homeless is, it's a bit of a different demographic to, uh, build trust with, because yeah. I think it's my assumption, you know, I walk up to them and like, I love your cat. Tell me all about your cat. And they're like, get away from me. What well, you probably want to take my cat and I don't want to take your cat. I want to help you with your cat. And so it's been a very different transition into building trust with, with the homeless and working with the shelters and, and um, we're way farther along with that in Kelowna than we are in Winnipeg, for instance. And then we will be in Calgary. It just takes much longer. The demographic of the um, general public, I would say, who are homed and maybe working or have been laid off all over the map. Yeah. Uh, some, some single, some with mental health issues, you know, some that have just fallen on hard times. And that's exactly what we're here for. We don't want anybody to have any judgment or any worry about having to prove that they need us. And we don't want them to have to ever choose between feeding themselves over their pet or yeah. relinquishing their pet because they can't care for them. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't have like a, a typical client model or I, I, identity, I guess, because we see everyone um, from all walks of life come and ask for help. I mean, I think the great thing about what you're doing is that, yeah, like I just said, you know, once that pet's not being fed, I mean, the decision then for that pet to be put out or, you know, or end up in a, you know, end up in a, um, 
you know, shelter or, you know, so many of those animals uh, are left for, you know, not necessarily, I mean, it's, you know, not necessarily the owner's fault, but it's the fact they can't be fed. And so you're also solving that issue for those other organizations. This goes back to this partnering. It's so important because, you know, everyone knows that I don't know what the state of the pet shelters is like in Canada, but certainly here I see it and other places, there's always an abundance of animals. There's always too many. There's still people getting pets from pet stores, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we hear a lot of stories, especially around people food banks where people will choose to feed their pets over themselves. So they will take the people food and give it to their pet and then not feed themselves. And I don't want that to be a thing either. Our goal was to, so in doing this, I found out in Canada that uh, pet food isn't necessarily mandated as something that pet, that food banks, people food banks need to provide. So if they are providing it, it's just an extra service that they're doing. When Mm. push comes to shove and they're under a situation like COVID and they've got a lack of, of donations and greater demand and a lack of volunteers, it is one of the first things that they remove from their program. Um, and we can quickly come in and fill that gap. And I would rather we fill the gap because food banks tend to break down the food and only give small portions. We give you know a full bag if we can and try and give you enough for a month. Um, and we don't want people to have to be in a situation where they're taking the food from the food bank to feed their pet from a people food bank, people food to feed their pet, because then it creates the demand again for the food bank to try and keep the food coming for that person or why is that person coming back and all the judgment and all those things. So um, our model is to eliminate the need for people food banks to have to logistically manage any pet food at all, whether it be from receiving it into their warehouse to distributing it to people, we'll take all of that with us. And then I also get all of the data so I can start seeing what the need is, where and why, and we can start working to address those problems. Awesome. Well, look, that's, you know, pretty much it. And, you know, really great to understand more about what you guys do and and, and appreciate the time. Is there anything else that uh, I didn't ask that you wanted to add or, you know, any other information? yeah, and anything else you want to tell us about about um, the food bank? I do because I and okay. I know this wasn't the intent of the call, but I do feel like it's really important for us to mention Task um, and the Driver app. Uh, it's been you know it's been wonderful, and it is one of the most difficult. Uh, the difficult pieces is once the food leaves our facility or our storage locker, our volunteers' home is understanding where the food is going and getting that feedback on the recipient. And sometimes our volunteers will take pictures of the pets and send them back. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes I don't have visibility on whether the the delivery has been completed or any of that. Um, And so as much as you're giving me a shout out, I want to give you guys a shout out because without your software um, and your generosity, we wouldn't be able to have that piece of the puzzle solved so quickly. And so back to collaboration and partnerships and leaning on each other's expertise, I can't even disconnect from this call, as you know, because I don't know how. So clearly <laughs> technology is not my skill set. So I love that we were able to lean on your expertise and help make the Animal Food Bank even more efficient. So awesome. well, cheers. And look, for us, it's, I mean, it's great for us because we're learning you know, new capabilities within our platform. And, you know, additionally to that, I'm a complete dog lover anyway. I've got two dogs. I've got a, I've got an Airbnb booking called the dog house. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, for me, it's, it's great to be able to help out someone who's in a space that I'm very passionate about and, and also an animal lover, a dog lover. So yeah. Cause cool. all of us dog lovers are crazy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what a great place to end. 
look it's been really great um it's been great chatting nicole just one more thing do you want to just just leave some details if people want to understand more if they want to support volunteer if they want to donate where where do they go to find out about um the shell uh, about the the food bank and, and yourself Awesome. Yeah. So they can go onto our website at animalfoodbank.ca. We're just in the process of relaunching our new site, but there is the sufficient information on the old site. Uh, they can email me at help at animalfoodbank.ca if they're looking to uh, donate or get more information on volunteering or anything like that. And then if they want to follow us on Facebook, we do try and keep a pretty heavy presence of media updates on Facebook, social media updates on Facebook. And we are Animal Food Bank Canada. Cool. Great. Well, it's been good to talk and um, yeah, have a good evening and we'll speak again soon. Thank you. You too. This is a podcast from Task. Task helps you create and measure impact. For more information, please visit task.io.